This is a CJSR podcast. Volunteer powered. Listener supported. Campus and community. Radio. Podcast. Podcast. Radio. Radio and and podcast. podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I really believe your, your body is attuned to where you're from. So whatever's around you. I believe like when we go back to our original diets, all those health issues will slowly go away because food's medicine. Hi, my name is Simon Frawani, and you're listening to That's Food. That's Food is a podcast from CJSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station, handmade by love by University of Alberta students, telling the backstory to food in Edmonton, one meal at a time. Food can symbolize so many different things in different cultures. To some, it can represent an experience. To others, a community but can also represent a way of showcasing one's identity and heritage. You can celebrate the traditions and history of a culture and ethnic community through food and share this knowledge with others. In this episode, I interviewed Chef Scott Eiserhoff, an Indigenous chef and founder of the Pepescio Catering Company, where we talked about how Indigenous culture and food are intertwined, the impact of colonialism on Indigenous food, and how food can have a significant impact on expressing and sharing Indigenous culture. Before we begin, I would like to start with a land acknowledgement. I would like to begin by taking this opportunity to respectfully acknowledge that we are situated on Treaty 6 territory and respect the history, language, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Today we have Chef Scott Eiserhoff. Could you please tell us a bit about yourself and your background? So my name is Scott Eiserhoff. I'm from the Attawapskit First Nations, which is uh, located in uh, northern Ontario, just along the west coast of uh, James Bay. And I've been cooking for over 15 years and, yeah, started cooking my own food for the past three and a half for and then our business is called Pippis Jill. For those of you who may not know, um, Chef Scott is the founder of the Pippis Jill catering business. Could you please tell us a little bit more about that as well? Yeah, for sure. So I've been cooking for 15 years and you can imagine the restaurant industry, you're working 12 hours a day, sometimes more. So I got tired of it. So then I quit my job and then I applied for a position at the youth emergency shelter down on white as a kitchen coordinator. And then I found I had more time to focus on myself because it was a eight to eight to four job. And then I got this opportunity to cook at uh, Shumka to make some bannock and do some like tacos and just like really indigenous food. But then I like I wanted to incorporate teaching into the food. So I did really like, like food ration, like the history of food rations, right? With like flour, lard and all these processed meats. So I did like fry bread tacos and this uh, really nice spam sandwich. And people are like, this is indigenous. And I'm like, well, if you know about history, then it was just my way to educate people on the history of food 
and how political it was. So then that event ended. And then I got a call from U of A to cater a young indigenous woman's circle. So a culture camp for the summer. And I told, I'm like, I'm not a caterer. They're like, oh, we know, but we want you to cater this because there's like, there's no indigenous caterers in the city. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I got some time off. I did that catering. And then they forwarded my name to city of Edmonton. City of Edmonton contacted me. And I did a, a handful of jobs for them. And then government of Alberta contacted me. And it was getting difficult because I had a full-time job plus all these catering opportunities to the point where it got out of control because catering opportunities turned into food demos for uh, Edmonton public schools for their PD days, like the PDs. Um, Alberta, Indigenous Alberta, the Indigenous Tourism of Alberta contacted me to do a dinner with them for a bunch of German tourists. So then we went from a catering company to a, like an educate a food education company to a tourism business all in a year. And then it just got out. I had to keep, I had to say no to a bunch of caterings because it was just, it was wild. It was, it was really amazing to see too. Like, it's not bad to say no because you're, you're like overwhelmed with catering. Right. And then I talked with my wife and we came up with the name and then I said, I think I have to quit my job. And that was the most difficult decision ever. Cause it's like, if I quit my job, I already have a steady source of income and quit my job. And then, yeah, it just blew up. And it was like the best decision from there. And now we're in the farmer's markets and we're opening up a location in the downtown farmer's market for a food kiosk. They're going to be selling prepared food, like catering out of there. And I, I, we can do everything that I want out of that kitchen, which is amazing. What is the significance behind the name? This name Pipistro came to my mind just because that's what my mushroom, my grandfather called me when I was a child. And it was just, it's a name that my grandfather gave me. And in the word is in Cree and having other people say the, the Cree word is taking back space, sharing space, and also a way of like other people learning the original language of Canada. Well, one of the many original languages. That's amazing. And you mentioned you've been cooking for a very long time. Who or what were the inspirations behind your culinary passion? Family. And just like when I started cooking, like I'm going to, I'm going to go how, how it all started off. So in high school, I would watch David Wolfman. He was the only indigenous chef that had a platform on television and he was a chef and he cooked all types of meat. Like, and he talked about eating off the land and the importance of that and the importance of going back to our traditional diets. It's a way of healing and just attuning your body to what our original diet was, right? And I just watch him all the time whenever a show would air. And my mom asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she had asked me when I was watching that show. And I said, I don't, I'll, I'll, be a, I'll be a chef, you know? I'll be like David Wolfman. Went to college for culinary. I hated culinary. So I dropped out and I studied business and hotel management. But during those years of studying, I, would, I was working in the industry, just getting hands-on experience and something that I learned better, just working with my hands and learning through that hands-on experience, like firsthand experience, right? Instead of reading books and doing practicums and like little food demos in school. And yeah, 15 years later, I started the company Pippis Joe. That's amazing. 
I'm just going to shift gears a little bit to talk a little bit more about Indigenous cooking. What are some traditional Indigenous cooking and food practices? All my knowledge comes from my childhood because I grew up eating traditional food and it was just my view of traditional food was just normal when you're a kid because you're always eating like smoked goose with like stewed and then it's stewed in like a nice broth with root vegetables or a moose stew or like a moose roast right or rabbit just like basically eating from the land and going out harvesting blueberries fishing uh, picking labrador tea and like wild mint and all the berries that were harvested during the summertime right raspberries blueberries uh some blackberries uh, choke cherries I could, I could go on. I could go on with all the amount of harvesting we did. What is the importance of traditional Indigenous foods in Indigenous culture? It's our original diet. When settlers came here, they really stole our way of life and made it impossible for us to practice like harvesting, hunting, and just our, our original diets, right? And then with that came all the health issues. I really believe your your body is attuned to where you're from. So whatever's around you, like that will be your diet. So back home, it's like moose meat, peace, um, rabbit, whitefish. Here out, here out in the West, it's like a bison. Bison was the main source of food. And I believe like when we go back to our original diets, all those health issues will slowly go away because food's medicine and whatever your body is like, like it's all in your, your DNA. Right. And once you start eating this food, there's this like, like that light that goes off in your, your DNA, like it starts flickering and coming like almost like a fire where you're going back to our way of life and how we ate. And we're just scratching the surface right now, really. And I know colonialism has had an immense impact on all aspects of Indigenous life and identity. And I can't even begin to imagine how hard it must be to deal with all of the inter and transgenerational trauma that has happened as a result. How can one use food as a way to reclaim Indigenous cultural practices and traditions? It's going back to our original diets and like what our stomachs are used to. Our stomachs aren't used to all this processed uh, high sodium enriched foods so like back home on reservations fresh stuff is expensive as opposed to the canned stuff because if you buy canned soup it's cheaper than actually making a fresh soup but once we start going back to our original diets decolonizing what we know like how how we eat we're gonna know how we eat because right now like i don't think we know how to eat um I think we're so used to just going to the grocery store, getting what's cheap, like food's, food's pretty expensive, but also harvesting wild meat's expensive. And you got to buy ammunition, you need a gun, you need gas to get out there, you need a vehicle, and it's really complicated. Where can someone learn this knowledge about traditional food practices or how they can go back to eating the food of the land and wanting to learn more about that? For me, it was really reflecting back on my childhood. Like my earliest memories of food was sitting in a teepee with my mushum and my kuchum and like all my aunties and my mother and my father and smoking like geese after a hunt, right? Because back home, 
there was a certain period of time in the spring called the Niskapisim. So we all take a week off and go out on the land and hunt for an entire week because there's a migration pattern, like a migration system of geese coming back. So that, that's our time to hunt geese, right? And then, like, yeah, my earliest memories are just of that, of my aunties plucking geese, my kuchum plucking geese and cutting it up and trying to like saving all like the livers and the hearts and use, utilizing the feathers for blankets, for uh, pillows, sitting around the fire and just seeing these geese smoking and drinking Labrador tea and eating bannock. And also like they would take a goose down and start preparing like a stew with uh, anaquinal with like dumplings. And just thinking about that just like heals me as a person, but also like through that process, it's reclaiming culture and really going back to how I viewed food as a child, as this normal, whereas I view it like, oh, it's indigenous. Like I want to go back to that looking at what we I used to eat as normal, right? That's a really great way to put it. And all those memories with family, with food together, they must build community and make everything feel just that much more better. I know you also lead cooking classes for the wider community to learn about um, Indigenous food knowledge and different recipes. What do you hope to achieve by doing this? What I want to achieve is bringing Indigenous food putting it on a platform and like have like just showcasing what indigenous food means to me. Everything I teach, I always tell everyone that it's my, it's my perspective. What an in indigenous culture, like people just lump us all into one group where they don't, they think we're all just the same. Whereas like there's hundreds of groups of indigenous people, you know, there's many languages, many dialects of Cree, like different, like Ojibwe, you have, you have hundreds of languages. And also with that, you have hundreds of ways of like cooking. Indigenous food is very regional. And that's what I like to talk about. And now we're going to be offering pay what you can classes. And we have off, starting to offer some free classes. With, and then we're inviting Indigenous chefs to share their perspective on food. Now, last time we had a Métis chef from Saskatchewan share her Métis culture and her perspective on food through the Métis, like, let's say perspective. And it was just so different from what I, from my perspective. And I think people, when they start to realize, like, we're not homogenous, that's when it starts to click in and then they want to learn more about different cultures and they're not lumping us into one group. I think that's such an important Point that you brought up because there are so many different Indigenous groups across not just Canada, across North America, across the world, and having everybody's own identity and way of life and showcasing that is so important. What is your favorite dish, both to cook on your own or to show other people? You can choose. There's so many. At home, I like to experiment with uh, risottos. Like if I were to do a, a risotto dish for like a dinner, I would call it ocheshi shak, which means rice. And I talk about the importance of rice, but also like I'm taking like like a, an Italian way of cooking rice, right? I'm incorporating other cultures, but also it's at the same time it's indigenous because I'm using like duck stock with like smoked duck, 
duck meat, right? And wild mushrooms and or squash like sometimes and I talk about the story of squash and where it came from and with the squash like then it goes into the three sisters and the story behind that and then it just builds and builds and so risottos are my favorite at home for people to like to for people I like I think I, I like everything I like to teach them that's not really one thing that I like to teach I like to talk about my stories with food and i think i just like to incorporate the stories into whatever i i cook i think that's really great and that way everyone can learn a bit about the history behind that food and um the grain or the squash like you said and um what has been the most challenging part in your journey thus far i never thought i would be in this position of giving the opportunities of like giving presentations on food to like public schools before COVID, but also like giving panel talks at uh, Tourism of Alberta. Like our, our business really snowballed into what it is now. And it, it was really fast. I, couldn't, I can't imagine myself talking in front of like hundreds of people three years ago. And now I can do it. I, I, I'm so comfortable doing it, right? And... I think that was the most difficult part, getting, stepping out of my comfort zone and not really having the choice because I think what, as an Indigenous chef and like multiple Indigenous chefs across Turtle Island, like they have that responsibility to, they have that responsibility to bring Indigenous food and showcase it and having a platform is that responsibility of addressing what we do as chefs and culturally and tell our stories. <laughs> it's very difficult, but also hearing like with popularity comes like those negative comments. And I really have to like drown that out, that, that noise out because you can get so many compliments, but you get one little negative comment online and it like when I first when that when I first encountered that it would just ruin my whole day, but now it's just like okay I can't let one comment be my downfall you know I have hundreds of people that are supporting me and Pippis Joe really grew because of the community. Just telling oh ask Scott to do this like Scott Scott will cater this you know and I'm like okay <laughs> I'll do that. On the opposite side now, what has been the most rewarding part of your journey? The most rewarding part of my journey is teaching people, but also giving other Indigenous people opportunities, like hiring other Indigenous chefs. And like growing up, I, I, wish I, I, I really wish I had a mentor in, in cooking, but I, I can't say I've had a mentor. And I want to really be that mentor to other people. And, and it would be like a huge honor to be a mentor to someone. But that's the most rewarding thing. Like all hearing all those positive, all the positive feedback and people putting my, our name to other organizations to like do caterings or selling them jams or bannock mixes and doing talks and it was just really this huge growth spurt 
I would say. Like literal growth spurt, just growing as a person and also reclaiming my culture because these three and a half years, I used, to, I used to know and understand Cree as a kid. Where now I have words coming back to me that I, I haven't spoken for so long. I have all these stories that my parents used to tell me as a kid with like Chikapish and the Northern Lights and all these other stories that my parents would tell me as a kid, right? And just also learning, like learning more words and remembering all the words like I used to know, reclaiming culture and being able to pass it on to my daughter. It's just an honor to be able to pass that down to my daughter and give her these this food knowledge and these food stories when she grows up where she can pass them down to her family or her kids if she ever wants kids or other other indigenous youth right and that knowledge is keeping passed down to more and more people who are going to learn more and use it as an inspiration to take up their own passion and do something with it how can people reach you and Pepis Chio? Uh, there's an email, so it's uh, Michiso, M-I-C-H-I-S-O, at Pipischio, P-E-I-P-E-I-C-H-E-I-O-W.com, or Instagram, uh, at, it's Pipischio. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you. And that's it for this episode. Now on for the snack fact. Did you know that Indigenous peoples use over 500 different plant species? There are countless species used in a variety of ways, including flavor, medicine, and ceremonies. Some species commonly used include ginger root, strawberry leaves, and choke cherry leaves. Today's episode was produced by me, Simran Frawani, with the help from the That's Food team. Thank you to Chef Scott Eiserhoff for speaking with me today. Our music is from Doug Hoyer, and you can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and on our website, thatsfood.transistor.fm. You can contact us at thatsfood.cjsr.com. We are That's Food CJSR on Facebook and Instagram. That's Food is produced in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. But is it food? That's bad. Again, I'm not counting down. I'm not counting it down. Wait, we're not counting.